Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokora Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Dennis Dunphy. He is a trainer based out of Campbell, California, and one of the co-founders of Stick Mobility. We had a great conversation, so I'm just going to get right into it. excited I am for the new Captain Marvel movie to come out. I've been a comic book dwarf my whole entire life and these Marvel movies have just been a huge blessing for me because they just did them so good. The characters are so good, the, the casting is phenomenal and each movie just gets better and better and I don't, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about Captain Marvel but I'm super pumped on the movie and next month is Avengers Endgame. What? Yeah, because Avengers Infinity War kind of left us hanging. Just all the death. And we were just like, what? What happened? Oh my god. Freaking out and panicking. So, man, I just had to let that out. Super excited. And right now we're going to get into this conversation with Dennis Dunphy. So, without further ado, here we go. We are recording. All right, Dennis Dunphy, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, 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 being on the podcast and how just really kind of interesting and innovative that guy is. And um, and so, yeah, God, what an interesting human that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, DJ is... Uh, He's one of our coaches. Uh, we met DJ uh, a few years ago. Uh, he actually came to our very first certification, uh, which was what, almost three years ago. Right. So, uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a fun time talking to DJ, hanging out with DJ when I get the chance, uh, whenever I'm down in Southern California. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, we, it's, it's interesting talking to people who think outside the box, which is a great thing. Right. Uh, so uh get uh some uh interesting perspectives things that you don't think about and i think that's what's what learning is about is challenging your belief system of you know what you what's instilled in you and uh and taking it from there and seeing where it goes absolutely and so you were uh we were also speaking about uh like-minded people and so you know i started out um um through uh, mixed martial arts and then moved into the CrossFit space after that. And then after a while, I just kind of got bored with CrossFit because it's not as constantly varied as it claims to be. So then, you know, started um, following all these different strength and conditioning coaches and then, you know, moving towards like animal flow. Um, And I'm a bigger guy, so it's really hard for me to kind of get into that. But then, you know, just kind of now I'm at this point where I'm really trying to figure out the best ways to create strength and uh, strength through variability in my body. And I think that's uh, something that, you know, um, we all kind of have in common is just realizing that the injuries come when the brain doesn't have a solution for the movement that's being provided to the body. Right. Yeah. I mean, we look at it as, you know, the making sure the joints in the movement have, first of all, uh, understand their role and their, and their, uh, their function itself. And once we get joints to increase and we understand what the function of the joint is and what it should be able to do, then we can then increase the capacity of the joint. But, uh, I think for most people it's, it's getting that most basic, fundamental principle of understanding joint function first and then increasing joint capacity. So, uh, for myself personally, it's, it's always 
it's correlating to trying to get people to understand if we, you would never take a six-year-old child and put them in the 12th grade calculus. Right. That's completely illogical. But yet when we look at the fitness industry, that's what we're seeing. So we're seeing a bunch of people trying to do 12th grade uh, physical movements with a first grade physical education. Right. And it just doesn't, work. It doesn't turn out well. No, it doesn't. And that's what's really interesting. So, you know, I have uh, for my own personal movement practice and uh, the clients that I have, um, I look at it through kind of a martial arts lens, you know, so you were talking about grades in school, I talk about like belt level, right? So through the first initial assessment, I determine what belt level they in, they're in, or, or even if they are have even reached a belt level because some people need to be regressed back all the way to those uh, developmental kinesiology patterns where you know they need to figure out how to engage their core which is like dead bugs and rolling patterns and that kind of thing and then once you get that the solid fundamentals like you were just talking about then going through and making sure that they have competent joints that move the way that they're supposed to do uh, move the way they're supposed to move and make the shapes that they're supposed to make. And then you start to load those patterns and then you start to add variants on top of that. So that's kind of where my whole thought process is. And, and, you know, the, the talking to like-minded people, we all have about the, the same kind of concept is trying to integrate it into your practice. Exactly. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And so um, how long have you been a trainer for? Uh, I got into the industry in uh, 1999, uh, so 20 going into my 20th year. Okay. Um, so, and uh, uh, it's been an awesome journey, um, especially from where I started. Um, so, you know, box gym, 24 hour, and then uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to have uh, know a lady who had a mutual acquaintance that uh, owned a private training studio. So I was able to get out of the box gym relatively quickly uh, within six months um, because, yeah, I mean, you find out, let's be honest, is for most box gyms, it's not about your training skills, it's about your selling skills. Right. So I'm like, well, I'm a, I want to be a trainer slash coach. I don't want to, I'm not in this for sales. So that was not my uh, cup of tea, so to speak. So for me, it was in, uh, when I, when this gentleman brought me on board, I thought it was pretty interesting that he was willing to do that for someone that didn't have any experience uh, and then when I spoke to him and he interviewed me he actually said you're the type of person that I would like because I can mentor you and you don't have any uh, preconceived notions and dogma that we have to break down and so it was, it, that was an interesting perspective on his part so uh, yeah we started there for four years and then just uh, left there and then simply just grown from there so 20 years later I'm now I'm at a level where, honestly, I never would have expected to be educating other coaches, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm really interested in the journey because I am uh, a massage therapist also and, you know, quickly learned that um, whatever corrections you make on the table, you have to solidify through movement because that's how our body thinks it, and that's how our body reacts to the world. So, you know, and then I started going down uh, the, the DNS rabbit hole and then um, through there found neurokinetic therapy and then uh, functional range conditioning and kin stretch and, you know, it all just kind of rolls downhill, right? So once you start and then the, you talk to the people that are taking the course with you and then they're like, well, I love this course and I love this course. And then you're like, cool, I'll take those ones. And then listen to this guy and follow this guy. And then you're, you know, eventually you're just, it's pretty much all you do all day long is you're essentially doing research for your, uh, whatever industry it is that you're in. Right. So the, the beginning and the middle is what I'm really interested in. So then what, what kind of paradigm shifts have you had throughout your career? And then, um, um, yeah, just com compared to where you started and what were like the biggest kind of uh, ideas that you came across in different education courses that kind of changed the way that you train people and look at the human body? Uh, the biggest thing is, is depending on, for me, when you get into the industry, depending on your age, 
dictates a lot of your perspective, first of all. So uh, when we get into the industry, many of us are, are in our mid-20s, sometimes even younger. And what we lack is that uh, and experience of dealing with the vast majority of our clientele who are not as young as, as us. Right. 20-year-olders don't have money. They don't have, they don't have the extra income to be spending on training. So most of your clientele is typically 30 and above or 40 and above. Well, a 25-year-old person does not have the ability to physically relate to a 40-plus-year-old housewife or a working mom or a career woman or a career parent, uh, dad. We just don't have that. So we also don't have that 20 years of extra physical demand to experience and have empathy with with those clients. So for me, a lot of it was at the mid-20s, late-20s phase was I was still bulletproof. I was still invincible. I could do all these things. And it was hard for me to understand why you can't just do what I do. Right. And so that for me was one of the the earliest mistakes that I didn't, that I just had to, to understand and change uh, from my training uh, mentality. And then also, it was also when I got in the industry, I thought high intensity training was the thing. So um, before we saw the mainstream media trainer of the yelling and the screaming and the pushing and this and that, uh, and, and not giving people a chance to rest and relax. I mean, that was kind of the way I trained. Uh, so then after a while, when you get to be older and you start to look at different methodologies and, and for myself, it was honestly, it was an injury to my left wrist, uh, that of course trickled into the elbow, into the shoulder. And so that was one of those things major game changers in my life that made me say, okay, there's got to be something a little bit different here as far as training systems. So I've had the ability to meet with uh, and, and get to know other peers who were much smarter than me, uh, much more experienced. And they were able to, and they said, Hey, why don't you check out so-and-so check out so-and-so. So as, as I'm starting to, as I start to look at these other educators, uh, that's when you start to get your paradigm shift and go, ah, you know, because let's be honest, no matter what industry we get into, we all suck when we first start. Yeah, right. I don't know what industry it is. And for you to, for anyone in any industry to say, I know everything when I go into the industry brand new, uh, that's just, we, we know people that have that attitude. And sometimes they never change. But I think the vast majority of people, when they get well into their industry, they start to realize, oh, crap, I, I know barely nothing. You know, and so I have to learn a lot. The, the books can only do so much. The classroom can only do so much. But once you start to transfer that into real-life application, that's a whole different ballgame. Right. That's, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's been a lot of my journey. So. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. So then, you know, because coming from the mixed martial arts background and, you know, training, you know, four to five hours a day and then going into CrossFit and realizing that, that I had a lot of work to do and then so, you know, uh, feeling like I was the person that showed up to the party late and, uh, you know, had to do extra work in order to catch up. Then I ended up, you know, doing three to four hours of CrossFit a day, you know, being really competitive. And then, man, like I would say five to six years into that, I just was really burned out and was just like, God, now what do I do? You know? And then, and then I started, you know, going down these different rabbit holes that I'm going down right now where, you know, so then the DNS thing where they're, they start talking about um, core bracing and what your core actually is. And then, you know, how your breathing mechanics affect that. And, and then I started listening to what CrossFit was saying about core bracing and then what actual core bracing is. And like, oh, that's, that's not the same thing. That's a totally different thing. And then, um, starting to realize that, you know, uh, 100% of the time when we're running, we're on one leg and then 80% of the time when we're walking, we're on one leg. So then why are we training with both legs? So then I started training one leg at a time and realizing that I had one leg that was really unstable from, you know, the martial arts practice where I was a right leg kicker. So my left leg was stronger because that's the leg I was standing on the most time. And so 
you know, then uh, finding the functional range conditioning was a really big course for me. And, and just the way that uh, Andrea Spina talks about it and the way that he presents the information, you're just like, God, how come I didn't know that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, I should have known, you know, through the joint by joint approach, which I studied and, but then he just brings a whole new light to it, which is just really, really enlightening and really amazing. Like you, this is the way that your body should move. And if you can't move your body this way, then there's an issue and that needs to be resolved. And, you know, going into how he talks about the squat and if you don't have the prerequisites to do the squat, then you shouldn't be squatting. And, and, you know, that's, and then going back to CrossFit again, like, they're just like, okay, so here's this overhead squat and you don't have the ankle or hip mobility, but you'll be get that over time. And then we're just going to do 50 of these for time, ready, set, go, you know? And you're just like, it doesn't, it makes, it makes no sense to me. And, you know, I'm surprised that there's not a higher injury rate in CrossFit considering that. Uh, well, I mean, I think for a lot of systems, uh, I mean, I think I tell people any, any system you learn uh, should understand basic science. Should, should be based off of sound scientific principles, number one. And number two, there should always be some type of uh, importance driven on the ability to progress and regress as, as needed for the individual. Right. Um, What's interesting is in that in the small group training or should I say large group training uh, pro, uh, program though it is extremely hard to establish that baseline though. Right. So the competition level, the uh, the ability to the the desire to be one of the group uh, drives us and pushes us, and the the one thing that CrossFit's really done is help bring a sense of camaraderie to the training world. Um, so some may say it's to an extreme, others will not. So it's just on your perspective on that. Uh, but at least they've given uh, people an ability to be accountable to each other, uh, and a system of being able to encourage each other to push each other a little bit harder once again, that can be a good thing or a bad thing on, in different in different uh, perspectives. Um, but yes, it's when we look at some CrossFit gyms have established side programs where they understand, okay, we have to screen somebody, we have to evaluate somebody's movement first, and then they just tell that person, look, you, you don't qualify right now, you can't do these wads, uh, we're going to have to set you on a separate program so that way we can get you up to a baseline before we clear you to actually do the wads. So we've seen that from some facilities, not, not by any means, not the majority by any means, um, but we have seen some higher level CrossFit boxes that have understood those uh, paradigms and they've gone with it. So, um, you know, I, I enjoy seeing that. I love to see it. There's nothing wrong with telling somebody, look right now, physically, you're just not there uh, because to me it, it shows that you give a crap. You care. Right, right. Uh, if you, it, to me, honestly, if you don't care, then yes, you just throw somebody into the fire. Right. But you want to make sure that that person, if you really give a crap about that person, you want to make sure that that person has the tools necessary to be able to deal with the fire that they're about to be thrown into. Right. And that's right. a, yeah, that's a really good point. And you know, I, have to say that that's just my personal opinion and I'm still you know waist deep in CrossFit so it's really easy for me to pick on I'm sure you know there's a whole lot of you know speaking on intensity and that's the the narrative of fitness nowadays is you know like orange theories the same way Um, it just kind of it's all just you know, not everybody's going to start in the same place, which is what we were talking about earlier. Like you might not even have your white belt level yet. You might need to earn your white belt, you know, and that's where you, you just all got to start somewhere, but you know, starting somewhere is how you get somewhere. Right. So uh, I think CrossFit does a really good job of at least getting people started, you know, cause that's a, that's a really difficult thing to do, especially um, in this day and age where we have this age of information, but 
you know, people don't really know where to go or how to start. Oh, I totally, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's a very confusing landscape. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely confusing for the people in the industry. So right. if it's confusing for people in the industry, what do we think it is for the people not in the industry? I mean, it's, it's a whirlwind. It's an absolute tornado. Uh, right. You've got do this, don't do that. This is terrible. That's bad. And then something that was terrible, all of a sudden, six months later, no, that's good for you. Something that was good for you, holy crap, a year later, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Right. You're like, what is going on? So uh, it's it's doing that due diligence. It's a lot of times, honestly, just using logic. Doesn't make sense. I think if you have to, if you question it and it doesn't make sense to you personally, then I think you it, it, you go with something else. Right. Uh, so and and we all change our methodology. So yes, the way I train today is vastly different than the way I trained 18, 19 years ago, not just myself personally, but with my clients, of course. So right. um, I've always joked and I've said, you know, if, if I had a client from 18 years ago come back, the first thing I would do is apologize. Right. So, all right. I, yeah. that's, I mean, I, any, any coach who's been in this game for any t- amount of time should have that same perspective. The first thing you should do is just say, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I've learned, I've matured, I've gotten new knowledge, and this is the way I, I view training now. So, right, that's really interesting. So then, talking about um, speaking on like educating people on what it is that you do, how do you go about doing that? Do you do you advertise locally, or do you, is your uh, are all your athletes coming to you basically by word of mouth, or how does that work? Uh, my personal, my personal private practice has always been referral. Um, it's never, I've never put money into advertising. Uh, Charlie Weingroff said a long time ago that, uh, make yourself the best trainer in a 200 mile radius that you'll never want for business. And he's spot on with that. In my opinion. Uh, I've always had that philosophy, but that philosophy was instilled in me from the gentleman that mentored me when I first got in the industry. And his business was built on that same structure. Right. He's like, don't waste money throwing money at advertisements that have little, very little return on investment. Right. So he said, make yourself a good trainer and your clients will get people to come to you. Right. And, and you don't have to sell yourself because they've already done that for you. So um, that has been always been uh, the foundation of my private practice. Uh, with stick mobility, that's something different. That's something right. that, yes, we've had to advertise and we've had to market. We've, we're trying to establish an education brand, a product brand, so that's completely different. But I think anyone from, a, from just their private practice business, if you don't have a network of peers and colleagues, uh, if you don't have a network of clinicians that, that are very confident in your ability to coach and train their patients. And I think that's something you're highly, you're missing out on. And I think the vast majority of trainers, number one, may lack the, uh, the knowledge and number two, lack the confidence to uh, go up to a clinician and say, Hey, I can train your, I can train your patients and you can have the utmost confidence in what I can do for them. Right. And, uh, and in my years of trying to mentor other coaches, that's what I've, I have found that number, those two things to be uh, the biggest factors. Because even with trainers that I know have the knowledge, I'm like, you need to set up a network of massage therapists, physical therapists, uh, surgeons, general practitioners, uh, chiropractors, people that are going to be confident to hand your card out to their patients and go, hey, you need to see this person this person will take care of you. Uh, and then you, between you and the clinician, you discuss the strategies of what uh, the training should be or, and, you, and you're open, very open about it, even though you may have different philosophies and disagreements, uh, you still have that ability to talk and figure out, okay, what can we uh, agree on here? So I think, and that's, and a lot of coaches don't have that, don't have that confidence uh, to just go, cold call go door to door um, right i mean down the street from my facility we have a whole street that is literally nothing but doctors 
and uh, clinicians. I mean, a right. whole street with probably 50, 60 different medical offices. I mean, it is literally a jackpot uh, for anybody that really wants to cre- to maintain and sustain a business. Right. Um, so if you had, and I've told other trainers, I'm like, you need to hit that street. My general practitioner is on that street. Uh, she's been a boon for my career as far as I train her. I trained her for free to start with just so she knew who I was, what I, what I do. So she had the confidence to say, okay, yeah, I'll send my patients to you. That's really interesting. So, you know, the, the networking part, that's something I feel like, uh, like you said, it's just having the confidence to go out and just, uh, spread your word on what you do and how you do it. Um, you know, because I'm in a situation where I've taken, um, enough education where I'm in a unique space to where I'm kind of a mixture of everything, you know, so it's really hard for me to, where what I'm t- working on right now is getting that little elevator pitch to where people are like, what do you do? Well, I'm a massage therapist and I'm a trainer and I've also had education in functional medicine and, and, you know, just go down this whole gamut. So I need to, I've been working on uh, trying to narrow that down to where I can actually tell people what I know and how I can help them. But then also how I can uh, uh, benefit those other uh, clinicians and how they can benefit me and, you know, start to build a relationship there. And so for the last two to three years, I've just been on this education rampage and now fortunately and unfortunately I am out of money, so I can't do that. So I need to really focus on honing my craft and what I'm doing and how I do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, that, and that's the thing is when you establish these relationships, it, it helps uh, on both ends, because then you have clinicians that you feel confident that if you have a client come in and they have an issue, you say, okay, I refer out to so-and-so because I trust that person. So it's a two-way street. So it has to be beneficial on both sides of the track. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, more trainers just need to get out there and make themselves. And, and for a lot of people, honestly, it just, they're afraid to put themselves out there because they're afraid to you know, on the, you know, what if I get criticized? Well, we all get criticized. So it doesn't matter what you do. Right. I mean, everyone, I don't care how good you are. Someone is always going to criticize you. Right. So the hell with it. You might as well just put yourself out there and get it over with. Right. I agree. I agree with that completely because everybody's judging somebody on something all the time. It doesn't matter. Like, if you drive a Ford or a Chevy or what kind of shoes you're wearing or whatever it is, people are judging you. So don't even worry about it. Just, uh, you know, and a lot of that fear is manufactured and in your own head and you don't even know what the truth is unless you go out there and start talking to people. And so that's where the podcast really, uh, has benefited me because, you know, I ask whoever I want to talk to if they want to be on the podcast. And sometimes they say no, most of the time they say yes, but like a majority of the time people are just a fate of rejection. And so, but if you're just like, Hey, let's see what happens. And then you go and ask that person like, Oh, I don't have time or you don't have the reach that I'm looking for or whatever it is. You're like, okay, sounds good. What about this person? And then most of the time they say yes. And then you're good to go, you know, and then you get to have wonderful conversations with people. Yeah, and, and what's interesting, like what you said about the podcast as far as asking people, you know, and some people say you don't have the reach that I'm looking for. They might not have the reach now, but what happens in five years when they've just exploded? Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting perspective as far as, uh, like George, I remember watching George Lopez talk about his interaction with Eric Estrada and how as a kid, George Lopez met Eric Estrada and Eric Estrada basically blew him off. And now who's bigger, right. you know, and, and here George Lopez remembered that. Right. So it's the same thing. It's, it's, that's just somebody calls up and says, Hey, you want to do a podcast? Would you like to do this and that? Of course, by all means, you know, let's, yes. Yeah. Because that person five, six years down the road may be huge. And to have that, to be able to be able to say, hey, man, I remember when that person was just starting out and now look at that person, they've exploded. Uh, and if I had an ability to help accelerate that, that's fantastic. So right. that doesn't 
I, I think that says volumes to anybody who's willing to help out anybody starting from the bottom and trying to work their way up. Right. And I think, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's just so beneficial for everybody, but it's also one of those things where you, like you said before, we're like-minded people and we train and the, in similar ways and we take similar education. So it's just fun to talk to people. That's like the best part of going to these education courses is, you know, having, hanging out at lunch and before and after class and, and talking to all these different people from different industries that have the same goal and want to accomplish the same thing. That's my, that's my whole favorite part, you know, cause uh, Flagstaff, Arizona is pretty small. Um, there's not a whole lot of people in this town that think like me. And so that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast uh, in the first place was just so I could reach out and talk to more people and just have a good time doing it. Mm-hmm. No, I, yes, by all means. And, th- and that's why the ability to be on social media has really helped uh, people like yourself and myself as far as getting more reach out there, uh, more influence as far as the way people uh, view fitness, self, health and fitness and the industry as a whole. Um, so it's, it's social media has been a huge boon in that regard. So it's, once again, it's a tool. It's how you use it. Uh, you can use it for good stuff. You can use it for bad stuff. So right. uh, to be able to be able to contact somebody and be able to talk to you and Flagstaff right now, be able to talk to someone else on another podcast uh, 3,000 miles away in New York, uh, those things are just, it's awesome to see that ability that we now have that 20 years ago was just not a viable thing for anybody. Right. Uh, so, and that's for us is, and what's interesting for um, stick mobility would be nowhere near at the level it was without social media. I mean, right. Not even close. And right. so when you start to see, uh, and so when we see people that are teaching really great stuff, uh, man, let's help cross promote. Let's help each other out. Right. Uh, Anthony Robbins has had that mentality for a long time. Right. Uh, he's one of the top motivational speakers, but he also sells and promotes other motivational speakers because right. they understand that helping promote each other is really where it's at. Because especially if you are, if you are sharing great information that that's different than what I'm sharing and, and fantastic. And, right. and we understand personality wise, we may say the same thing, but someone may take it differently from better from you than they do from me, just off of the way our delivery is different. Our personalities are different. So this is the reason why promoting each other is only beneficial to everyone in the industry instead of trying to cut each other down. So um, I think we, we bring that mentality to the table when we talk to other uh, peers and we say, hey, man, we like what you teach. Uh, if you like what we teach, man, let's get something going here. Yeah, that's so, so interesting because, you know, when my dad first started, he's a massage therapist also. You know, he started back in 98 and yeah, there was nothing. Like you had to, if you wanted to advertise for your business, you had to maybe talk to the local Safeway about putting an advertisement on the back of their receipts or there was like the yellow pages or uh, I don't even know if Groupon was around back then, but you know, just trying to even like renting like a credit card machine, you know, like now we have square, we have the internet, we have social media. You could really just put yourself out there. And, and, you know, for me, it's just all about meeting really interesting people that give me a different perspective on movement and what, what I can accomplish myself, but also what I can get my clients to accomplish and then how to regress different things and, you know, getting different ideas. And it's, it's just this wealth of information. And if you, like you said before, if you use it right, you can really get a lot of knowledge out of there. Oh, very much so. You know, and, and I, right now, I mean, we see across the board now, I think the majority of people on social media or a good chunk of people on social media in the health and fitness industry is about getting their name out there and their brand recognition more from a monetary standpoint, which is perfectly fine. If that's your thing, that's your thing. Uh, and then we have other people that are out there trying to get their brand out for an education purpose and really getting some good information out there. So whatever it is you're into, uh, just yeah. understanding how to deliver it and how to, and the availability that, and the resources that you have today are so much greater than they were 
in the mid nineties and definitely, definitely way better than they were in the seventies and eighties. Right. Um, so, you know, the amount of, uh, money that you had to spend back then versus today is vastly different. So right. you can have these small training facilities and these small tr- uh, fitness companies who do don't no longer need those huge investment dollars to really push themselves out there. They can be a small cash flow business. And if they have the right information and they're acting and they're hitting the right demographic, they'll see massive growth. I mean, you know, look at CrossFit, perfect example. Right. The community locked in. The community demanded more things, and it was just given to them. So that, and then all of a sudden, boom! I hear it explodes. Right. You know. So you've now, now you've got other brands coming up doing the same thing. So. Right. Uh, and now you got to hire people in your company. Once you get big enough, you got to hire people in your company that understand uh, the game of social media, pretty much. Right. Because it's almost a full-time job. You really got to be thinking about what your goal is, who you're targeting, what to post and what your, your message is and what like to really trying to find your voice. And it's just a, it's, you really got to focus and put a lot of energy into that and then see what everybody else is doing and all the hashtags, all that kind of stuff. It's yeah, just hiring somebody that's more prevalent in that is way more beneficial than you just trying to figure it out yourself. Oh, I mean, and that's um, because, I mean, you, you want to hire, actually, you have to know your own limitations. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then bring in people into your company or your, or your group that have expertise in other areas that you don't have expertise in. And that's the ability to swallow the pride, sink the ego down and go, okay, I need to bring somebody in. Right. Somebody is much better at this than I am. When it comes right. to figuring out algorithms and all this other crap on social media, I have no clue. Right. So yes, we brought in a branding general, uh, you know, two gentlemen that deal with algorithms and branding and all this. Hey, man, have at it. You guys are experts at this. That's all you. Right. right. And so uh, yeah, I look developing. No, go ahead. Sorry. Right. And so right now I'm uh, starting out. So I'm really experimenting and, and, putting a lot of information out there and seeing what people respond to and what they don't. And it's just a really interesting thing. And I'm thinking I'm getting really close to kind of dialing it in to see what people actually really want. And so, you know, what's, what's interesting. And then this kind of transitions into the stick mobility thing is people are less interested in, in complicated and more interested in simple. And so, you know, like we both have the uh, FRC background. So like, me just doing different shoulder car variations is really popular, but me doing more strength and conditioning stuff, which is a little bit more complicated, but uh, provides a lot more variance in the movement is less so. And so, you know, the, the stick mobility thing I think is really interesting um, because there was a, a gap within the mobility market that you guys seem to fill really well. Um, so let's uh, let's talk on that a little bit and how that kind of came about. Well, I mean, the stick is a simple tool. I mean, it's, people always say that, well, it's just a stick. And I'm like, yeah. And so we get the people who are like, well, I know how to use a stick. And what's kind of funny is uh, when those people have been in front of me, I've, I've handed them the stick and said, okay, show me how to use it then. <laughs> and they just stare at you and you're like, I thought you said you knew how to use a stick. Yes, I am that guy that's going to call you out on the spot. Right. Uh, so, and if you knew how to use a stick, you would have been teaching this long before I ever did. Right. Long before Newton and I ever came up with this, you would have been off and running and we would have been learning from you. So sticks themselves are the, really one of the first primary tools that humans picked up. Um, so if you, especially when you watch kids, interact with in the woods kids love picking up sticks you know it's a a very primal tool Uh, so it helps us connect closed chain especially connecting the hands to the feet and and linking everything in between Uh, really accessing the core the hands and the feet to me are the conduits to really understanding how to access your core strength and so the stick adds is it's interesting not to name drop, but Coach Todd Wright from the 76ers, when we talked to him, 
He said, you know, as soon as I saw the stick, I said right away, I said, that allows me to add energy to the kinetic chain. And right. we we're like, man, that is awesome. Great statement. Uh, and he said, you know, it's, it's a portable stretch cage. I don't have to take a stretching cage everywhere. I'm not dependent on it. I have a stick, different lengths to give me different utilities, different uh, means of leverage and stability to create more range of motion. And, and keep that energy in that kinetic chain as I'm going through those ranges of motion to really help build neuromuscular control through those movements. Uh, so that was great uh, feedback from him in regards to what the stick can do for you. Yeah, so I've had mine for about two weeks and it's just been really um, kind of diving in and figuring out how to learn or uh, figuring out how to use them. And it's... It, one of my favorite parts is about how uh, flexible they are and that makes them really versatile and you can really do a lot of different stuff with them just based on their flexibility um, because you just don't get that with like the PVC pipe is like one of the things that's like the fundamental teaching tools of CrossFit and how to Olympic lift and, and how to overhead squat and all that kind of stuff. And, and the, the, the stick mobility just really ups the game on that one. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, we get to people who say, well, I'll just use PVC. And we're like, okay, that's fine. Right. But teach you how to use it. Because right. we see people that use PVC and we're like, dislocates. For example, shoulder dislocates. I don't know how many times we see shoulder dislocates and you're like, that is not even close to being anything regard regarding hitting the lats and connecting the upper arm to the lats into the shoulder socket. And you're like, you see no one's pulling apart on the stick. And what's interesting when we do our education and we're showing people, as soon as we have them pull apart on the stick, their eyes light up and you're like, yes, that one simple thing is what's lacking when everyone does a quote unquote shoulder dislocate, because you, you now understand what the lats, how to engage them so that your way you can bring more neuromuscular control to the scapula when you go overhead and that's the whole point. That's what you're trying to teach. You're not trying to teach passive. You're trying to teach active range of motion, usable range of motion. And then watching people when they go in to dislocate lumbar extension and they're like, look at my shoulder range of motion. And you literally want to grab them and go, look, you're using your low back. And if I, if I pointed to your low back and you told me that was your shoulders, you and I need to go back to anatomy class because that's where you're sourcing your movement from. Right. And it's kind of funny when you see, when people laugh when you tell them that, but you're like, you video them and you go, that's you. You're laughing at the statement that I made, but look at where you're sourcing your movement from. You don't have scapular movement, so you are sourcing it from your lumbar spine. Your lumbar spine is not your shoulder girdle, not even close. So right. let's move them, let's brace Keep the ribs to the hips. Get out of that ridiculous anterior pelvic tilt that you love. Keep the ribs to hips locked down. Now do your overhead dislocate. Stop sliding your hands all over the place to try to access this range of motion that you don't actually have. Right. And when we teach that and we see the results and people like, oh, wow, and they get done with it and they're like, holy crap, that is not even close to what I'm used to doing. We're like, yes, we know. And that's why we're teaching you how to do a proper shoulder dislocate. And what and that's and that requires strength. And yeah. to be mobile, you need strength. Right. So when when we're doing our education, every every coach, every clinician that's been through our education, every single one of them has been like, wow, there is so much strength training involved in your mobility work. And right. we just we're like, yes, you're exactly right. So, um, and we've heard that people are like, well, that's just stretching. No, we, we market the stretching because isometrics doesn't market on social media. Right. Uh, you know, people don't, the average person, the average trainer doesn't understand what isometrics brings to the table. They don't understand what isometrics and what core radiation needs to be. Uh, through to add into your training of strength training and, mo and mobility training. Uh, so to show somebody pushing a stick into the wall, the average person's like, I have no idea what's going on. Right. Just, uh, but yet you put somebody in a funky stretch pose, they go, oh, well, that looks interesting. Right. So we, we do market that, and we've had people that come, and we have a lot of people that come in 
to our education, our two-day education. And they, and after the first, you know, two, three hours, they're like, holy crap, this is not even close to what I expected. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. And it's, uh, you know, that's, so you guys were talking about how you integrated a lot of the FRC um, mentality into your stick mobility training. And, you know, one of those concepts is the, the law of irradiation. And that's, that was one of the biggest aha moments for me, because, you know, whenever we'd be teaching something like the bench press, we'd be talking about generating torque and we'd be talking about, you know, if you squeeze your butt, then your bench press gets bigger and you can actually push that weight up where you would have failed before. And I had no idea why that was. And I would even tell people that. So when you squeeze your butt in your bench press, the weight goes up easier. And I don't know why, but then, you know, Dr. Andrea Spina and all his wisdom is like, that's the law of radiation. And I was like, okay, so now I know how to explain it to people. The more muscle fibers you recruit in order to complete a task, the easier the task is to complete. And so the, and the more benefit that your body gets out of uh, whatever you're trying to accomplish through the law of radiation. So that's, that's an interesting thing that, um, you know, a lot of these uh, mobility specialists are starting to bring a lot of this, these 80s kind of equipment, this 80s exercise equipment back, like the, the ankle weights for one, but then also uh, the, what a lot of people are starting to use now are those, those muscle spring things. It's just like a stick with like a big spring mm-hmm. in the middle and you, you know, that's yep. how they're creating a radiation. And so, you know, I've been using the, um, the old school, like 1980s grip trainers to do my shoulder cars because that creates more radiation, you know, and now with the, uh, with the stick mobility, you can explain to people when you're doing the bench press, what you're trying to do when you say quote unquote bend the bar or generate torque with your shoulders because the stick is mo- is uh, flexible so when you're generating that torque you're actually bending the stick and then it starts to click with people oh so then you're recruiting more more muscle through the process of irradiation to just push that up instead of just using your pecs and your lats yeah and and that's and i think well there's a huge lack of understanding of what of torque and and right. i mean every, every time we move torque is involved right there's some type of rotation there's some type of rotation involved in the movement uh just standing up off the floor right. so and it's we talk about torque like it's kind of funny when you talk about torque when it comes to a car engine people are like oh yeah i understand torque but you're like but you don't get it when you talk about it in a physical with your in a physical way with your body we just kind of uh, we we breeze over it and it's teaching people how to generate that full systemic strength from the upper limbs to from the up lower extremities to the upper extremities and being able to really connect that and so with the stick yes with the bench presses is being able to shorten the stick and try to create that torque by trying to create that little bit of flex in the stick. Right. And so when, once people get that, and it's like Spina says with, you know, force is the language of the cells. And that's all, the, that's all these cells understand. How much force do you want me to apply to accomplish the task that you want to do? And if that task is standing up off the floor, well, then how much force is needed to be uh, exerted by the cells to help you stand up off the floor? Right. Uh, if you have more weight, if you have someone sitting on your shoulders, it's the same task, but you now require more force to stand up off the floor. The movement itself is the same. It's just your stress lines are now changed as far as how much stress you have to deal with because now you have a longer lever because someone would be sitting on your shoulders. So that once again, more force has to be applied by the tissues through the movement. Right. So it's just it's it's bringing physics back to the forefront and saying, look, if you if you may not like physics in high school, you may not have. I mean, I I didn't like physics. Oh, I hated. Hated. Right. Yeah. And now you're like, now it's like son of a bitch. I should have paid attention more in physics class. You know. And so now, even as I watch a ton of documentaries that are based off of literally nothing to do with training. 
Right. Uh, I'll watch documentaries that that uh, talk about uh, engineering, uh, how to build skyscrapers, things of like that. Because all these things, uh, from a physics standpoint, come back to how we train people. Right. And that's that was one of the biggest roadblocks that I hit um, trying to do my prerequisites for uh, physical therapy school was I'm just so bad at math because if you can't explain to me how it's applicable to my everyday life, I don't really care. And so, you know, physics was one of those. And, you know, one of the, one of the problems that really sticks out in my head is uh, the teacher was saying, well, we need to figure out the velocity of this hockey puck that's sliding without friction down the road. And I said, well, where did the hockey puck come from? How is it sliding without friction? Like, these are all questions that I need answered. And how is this really applying to anything that I'm learning? Or how am I going to apply this to, you know, uh, healing somebody's rotator cuff injury? Um, but then, you know, once I got out of school and I got into massage school and then graduated from that, then I started, well, I need to know about low back injuries. So then I, uh, you know, fit found uh, Stuart McGill and then he starts talking about these different lever arms and and the the physics of how if you're deadlifting the weight gets heavier the further away from your center line it gets and the the how much load is on each vertebrae um, if you have a flat spine compared to a curved spine and this is all stuff where I'm just like oh see now I understand this and this is applicable to my craft and this is how it should be taught. So then I almost think that there should be different physics class based on what you're trying to accomplish and what your ultimate educational goal is. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And I think that that would just be uh, more interesting. So then, you know, going back to uh, stick mobility. So, you know, what's interesting about that is you just got back from a big trip, right? Where were you just at? Somewhere in Asia. Well, I, I was in Jakarta, so well, I went to Dubai. Uh, had oh, okay. Our, our Middle Eastern distributor, we had a class. Uh, so that was our second certification we've had in the UAE. So I was over there. And then from there, I went over to Jakarta, and there was a uh, fitness festival over there. Uh, so our, our, Southeast, our Southeast Asia distributor was over there and so we stopped in to do some uh workshops hands-on because we'll be having uh we're trying to of course have some certifications in indonesia and uh we've already had a couple in taiwan and hong kong so we're trying to branch out in the southeast asian market and uh so that was my first trip there i got back and then i was off to buffalo for uh our first uh certification in that area um so New York has been pretty much – it was definitely one of our smaller classes. Yeah. Uh, but New York, other yeah. than that, Manhattan's our central hub, to be honest with you, from an education standpoint, uh, because the competitive nature of the fitness industry in Manhattan is so, is so tough. Uh, everybody's looking at uh, finding the next big thing. Yeah. Uh, what their novel, what can I bring that no other trainer is bringing right now? So I think right now in the Manhattan market – I think we have probably about 80 to 90 coaches already in the Manhattan market, which uh, is not very many, to be honest with you, because I think uh, demographically we can have a thousand stick mobility coaches in Manhattan. Yeah. And due to, the, yeah. due to the population of Manhattan, even a thousand coaches would still have a, a huge number of, of potential clients to choose from. Right. And that's so, so what's it like to, you know, help uh, invent this product that just launches and then takes off. And then all of a sudden you're like teaching this uh, modality all throughout the world. Like what's that like? Uh, it's, it's very surreal. Uh, it's, uh, it's very humbling. Um, yeah. I am every time I'm out on the road, uh, you know, I've told any I'm, people that really know me understand that uh, this is, like I said a little bit earlier, it's not something I ever envisioned doing. Uh, hell, even six years ago, I didn't envision doing this. Um, so, uh, but it's been, it's extremely humbling and surreal to think that people 20,000 miles away give a crap about something that I do. 
Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the most amazing thing is this has given me the opportunity to go and meet people uh, from around the world and see and, and get a chance to talk to them about uh, life in general, their viewpoints on life, not just health and fitness, but their, their viewpoints on, on politics and life in general, food, travel, all these things, uh, what they value as opposed to what we value in Western culture. So I think that's, for me, it's, it's, I love talking, getting to know people on, on, on different levels, not just the health and fitness industry. I want to know what makes them them, what makes them tick. Yeah. Um, and and uh, especially coming from a country like the U.S. where we really are out of, we are the least internationally traveled country uh, out of all the industrialized countries for the most part, uh, which I think is a sad statement. Uh, I would love to see that change. Uh, I have a ton of friends and family that have never stepped outside the U.S. borders other than Canada and yeah. Mexico. And and honestly, I really don't count those because, I mean, they're just our neighbors. Um, yeah. But when you travel overseas, uh, over the pond, so to speak, um, it's a different world. And especially when you, depending on the Middle East, you know, we... Uh, have we have different we have a we view the Middle East typically in one way uh, but to get over there and actually see it in person and talk to the people you get a totally different perspective and then um, and especially with Asian culture over here uh, the way we they interact with with how we've grown up it's uh, it can be conflicting in some ways especially let's take driving for example you know, we always talk about how bad drivers are, Asian drivers, right? Right. But yet when, when you go over there and see their infrastructure and see how things are done on a day-to-day basis, you go, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why they do what they do. Right. And instead of, and now it, it, I, where I used to, before you were like, wow, why are you kidding me? What is going on? Now it's just, that's what they do. It's, yeah. it's, it's just how they are. And so you just, you learn to deal with it. And, and, uh, so you no longer, for me personally, it's not, I don't, I get, I don't get annoyed anymore of, of what I see because now being over there, I go, Man, they don't know any different. Right. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the, my educational path has taken me to all different places, but, um, you know, like you just alluded to, I've, uh, I took the kin stretch class in, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. And that was the first time I've been quote unquote outside of the United States since I was a child and went to Mexico. So like, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, traveling that I need to be, uh, doing in the future. And, you know, we're in this unique situation to where if you, if you find a unique niche where you have knowledge or a product that, um, that people feel as though they need, then they'll invite you over and they'll get you a lot of people, to come to that course and make it worth your while. Mm-hmm. Oh, very true. And yeah. it's, uh, and I like, for me, it's, it's, it's awesome to think that, man, people see this and go, I need it. It's something that's going to be beneficial. Um, and not just from the strength and conditioning side, but from the, from the medical uh, side also. So to be able to bridge that gap and, and have something that links those two fields together has been just absolutely fantastic uh, because the we we've been battling each other for so much uh, time as far as clinicians don't uh, really value the expertise of a movement coach or a trainer so to speak and uh, so that's gone a long way as far as I think trying to connect those two fields together so that way we can start to work together because uh, you know, rehab equals training, training equals rehab. Uh, probably, you know, Weingroff has had that for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's just, it's understanding and connecting these two. So that way we, it's a, it's a mutual field. Uh, and I, I tell coaches all the time, I'm like, look, if when you deal with the human body, you as coaches or trainers have the ability to help people elevate to levels that they never expected to be at. But at the same time you also have the ability to put somebody on a surgeon's table 
So you you know it's the old Peter it's the old Uncle Ben to Peter Parker thing of you know with with great power comes great responsibility, and and people trust trainers to look out for their well being, and so uh, I think trainers need to understand that role as you, this person is putting their physical well being in your hands, so that is not something to be taken lightly. And unfortunately, I think there are too many people in our industry that take that responsibility way too lightly. Right. And so I think I came along at a really uh, pivotal point where there's there's a bridging of that gap to where, you know, now uh, chiropractors are really, chiropractors and PTs are really focused on you know, training people and once they're done rehabbing them, training them and making them more resilient to that environment so that, you know, those to uh, help uh, facilitate that injury uh, mitigation in the future. And so it's, it's becoming um, a situation where we're all doing the same thing and we're all trying to accomplish the same goals. And it just becomes uh, who can help with that individual accomplish their goals better and just referring out to that person. So, you know, you're, you might not be the right person for me, but this guy who's a chiropractor can do what uh, me as a massage therapist can't. So I'm going to send you over to him, you know? So that's a, I think we're in this, it's a really uh, beneficial time for us to all kind of come together and realize that we're all accomplishing the same thing. Yeah, and I think what's in it, when, and I think a lot of it too is is just fear of losing income. Right, it really comes down to it. Um, and and once that goes way back to the beginning conversation of lack of confidence in yourself. Right. Uh, I, you know, if if someone comes to me and says, "Okay, I'm looking for this and this," and I'll be like, "Look, here, here's some people that I'll turn you over to. Go for it. That's not right. something I want to deal with. Uh, I have no problem doing that." So. It's, uh, it's having that confidence to say, look, that's not, I'm not the person you need for that. Go see this person. Right. And I think, and, and in respect, uh, in retrospect, I think that client or that patient, uh, looks back at and goes, wow, that person had that, was really looking out for my well being in regards to he or she understood that they, they weren't the right person for me for what I was trying to accomplish. But here, this person may be, you right. know? And, uh, so I, I think, uh, in retrospect, I think a lot of people always remember that and then they'll have that, uh, and they'll come back, uh, eventually down the road. So right. I think what's interesting is over my career of, uh, I, I haven't had any issues letting people go. It's, it, you know, I think what's interesting is some trainers, um, don't feel that like they can release clients. Right. Um, I, I'm the first to tell people if you feel uh, that you don't um, integrate well or or, uh, or a client doesn't have trust in you, then you need to let that client go. And so the reason why is because it's drain, it's a drain on your energy and every client after that person feels the results of that. Right. So if you have, you need to have the confidence to let that person walk away and something else will come come along that you'll two three weeks later maybe even the next day somebody calls you up and says hey so and so told me to give you a call uh, i'd love to come train with you and also and you're like holy crap and all of a sudden that person says i would like to do you have this time slot available and it just happened to be the time slot that the person you just let go of had right and you're like well, right. holy crap look at that it just worked out so <laughs> right uh, here's something you know here's somebody that when you train, man, you, you love training them. Like you love coaching them and now your energy is just totally different. And then the clients after that, they're like, Oh, wait a second. What's going on here? Yeah. You know, it has huge. Material. Right. And then the reality is, is that there's 7 billion people on this planet. So there's, there's plenty to go around. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And that's what I, right. And that's yeah. such a great point. Yeah. Everybody is just so afraid of, I don't have, if you live in Manhattan, there are 8 million people that live on that little tiny little strip of Manhattan. Right. That is a ton of people crammed into one little area. Right. I mean, there's 330 million people in the U S. Yep. Uh, 
NASM says that there's, I think NASM said that there were 240,000 certified trainers in the U.S. Right. Just do the, do the math, folks. I mean, <laughs> yeah. There so, is plenty of fish in the sea, folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Well, I think that's a good place to end this. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. We had a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate you having me, brother. And uh, hopefully I look forward to meeting you down the road sometime. Absolutely. And so before you go, uh, where can people find you? Okay. Uh, we are, we're on uh, Instagram. We're at Stick Mobility. Uh, same on Twitter, at Stick Mobility. Facebook, just look up Stick Mobility. Uh, my personal Instagram is Diamond Physique SJ. Uh, my other co-founder is uh, Neil Valera. So you can look him up on Instagram at NV Strength uh, N, and then V is in Victor Strength. And then uh, just give us a follow and feel free to reach out to us. You can, if you check out the website sticknobility.com, you'll see all our products and our education schedule on there also. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Awesome, Jesse. You take care, buddy. You as well.